With authority. Welcome to another edition of our With Authority quarantine series. Larry Beal, Casey Pratt, Chris Alvarez. Special guest is the general manager of the San Francisco Giants, Scott Harris. So we welcome you. Where are you right now, Scott? I am holed up in my apartment in San Francisco. What about you guys? We're all in our homes. When was the last time you exited your premises? <laughs> uh, yesterday, briefly. Okay. I'm proud of you. You got outside. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. <laughs> no, it's our, it's our <laughs> pleasure to have you. So uh, I'm just going to dive right into this here. Um, and you can, you know, bob and weave however you want. There's about <laughs> 101 proposals on how the baseball season should start up. Given your background in economics, business, analytics, I have this vision of you with a dozen computers running simulations on, if we do this, if we do that, if we go to the biosphere, if we go three division, 10 teams, is, is that how you're spending your time? Yeah, I, I mean, I think the commissioner did a great job of articulating um, all of those concepts as, as more ideas than plans. Um, a, a part of our job, part of my job, Farhan's job, Gabe's job, is just to forecast changes in our sport and to be ready for them. Um, so we've been occupying a lot of our days uh, coming up with contingency plans, trying to uh, you know forecast the changes that our sport will see, but also try to uh, make sure that we're, we're prepared to uh, exploit any uh, potential uh, new loopholes or um, any ways to uh, give the Giants a competitive advantage once we do get back on the field. Um, I'll jump right in then. Uh, I read your Reddit AMA. I was doing some deep research on you. Uh -oh. About the time, though, that you and Gabe Kapler uh, got to meet Willie Mays. So can you tell us a little bit about what that was like? Because I know that was probably a really significant and cool moment for you. Yeah, no, absolutely. That was a really special moment. Um, in, in this job, you often get to check off uh, – you know, items on your bucket list that you never would have access to uh, in any other profession. And uh, I got to check one of those off uh, pretty early in my tenure with the Giants. Uh, right before we left for spring training, I was down in, in Gabe's office in the clubhouse and um, and someone came by and said that Willie Mays was, was going to pop by the clubhouse to, to come meet us. And uh, Gabe and I were, were giddy in his office as we uh, we're about to exit his office and, and go into uh, the room that Willie was in. And uh, right before we, we walked in, uh, Gabe turned to me and he said, hey, this is big. This is like, you know, meeting Babe Ruth. And I turned to him and I was like, Gabe, Willie was so much better than Babe Ruth. This isn't even close. We both, uh, we agreed that, that Willie is uh, in an upper echelon of baseball grades above uh, Babe Ruth, and then we got to go um, ha have that pinch me moment of, of actually shaking his hand and realizing how big his hands actually are. You always hear the stories about, um, you know, how Willie's handshake is, is the best handshake that, that you could ever ask for. I know Gabe's talked about that a bunch, and it's absolutely true. And it was a, the ultimate pinch me moment to, to get to meet Willie Mays up, up close and, and personal. Speaking of other people that you may have gotten to get acquainted with a little bit. Have you been able to kind of pick the brain of, of a Bruce Bochy or Brian Sabian in your time with the Giants so far? I know that there's, it's kind of like a baseball rich environment with all the people that they keep around that organization. Yeah, it's such a privilege to be in this organization. Um, I mean, I, I felt like every day I went to work and spring training, I would bump into to someone new that, that was a legend in our sport. Uh, you know, guys like Bochy who's going to be a first ballot hall of famer and, and, and saves. Um, 
they've been very welcoming uh, to me and, and to Gabe and, and to Farhan, and, and it's great. Uh, my office in, in spring training is right next to Safe's office, and so I, I would pop in periodically during games and pick his brain about you know some of the players that he acquired and brought into this organization and how they really developed into the, the players and the people that they are today. So it's been a really cool experience, and I've been trying to make the most of it and, and learn from, from their experiences in this game. Larry actually joked with me off camera that he asked me my age, and I'm a couple years older than you, so I'm a little behind in life. Uh, you're, <laughs> you're at such a high position where you're at at your age. Um, you just your kind of your trajectory. I mean, how did you get to where you are, and now you're the general manager of the Giants? I'm assuming that was your team growing up as well. Yeah, it's. Um, I, I think everyone who, who comes into a job like this has a unique um, career path to getting here. Um, mine started um, – by not knowing anyone in, in this game at all. And so I just uh, took pen to paper and started writing letters to every GM and president in this game when I was in college and, and tried to convince them that I was young, bright, and willing to work for, um, in some cases, zero dollars, just to try to uh, get my foot in the door and, and trying to build a career in baseball. Um, I got a, a few um, lucky breaks uh, along the way, um, met some, some key figures who have become mentors in my life, such as uh, Al Rosen, who's a former GM of the Giants, um, Theo Epstein, Jed Hoyer, um, and they really opened uh, count, countless doors to me and, and uh, made this, this uh, trajectory possible. And uh, I'm just really excited to be back in San Francisco and, and feel really, real fortunate to have the opportunity to, to build a winner in my hometown. That being said, it's been a roller coaster of a ride. I mean, this is done like we should be in the middle of a season right now. So what, is, what has been your months that you, you know, from being hired to, to where we are today? Yeah, I think people forget how new uh, I am and, and Gabe is and, then, and even Farhan. You know, Gabe and I have been here for a few months and, and Farhan hasn't been here that much longer. Uh, but it's really challenging when you move into a new organization, especially when you've been in one place for a long time, like, like I was in Chicago. Um, you're, you're getting to know new faces. You're, you're trying to forge relationships with a new subset of players and, and it's really challenging. And, and then all of a sudden you throw a global pandemic on top of it and it, and it becomes um, pretty, pretty close to, to impossible. But um, I, I've been really proud of the efforts of our staff and um, our guys ability to confront the challenge head on to first, first and foremost, take care of their families, but also, um, you know, find new ways to, um, seek out competitive advantages and seek out new ways to um, push us forward when we finally do get to play again. For people that may not be familiar with your background, I just want to go over the resume really quick because you are a Bay Area product. Redwood City, Menlo School, UCLA, got an economics degree at UCLA. You went to Columbia Business School, uh, the London School of Economics. This is very highbrow stuff here. So... I'm wondering what the reaction was from your parents when you said, yeah, all that business stuff, um, I, I want to run a baseball team. <laughs> what was the right. reaction? Well, it's not quite as highbrow as, as you articulated it because I did drop out of Columbia Business School um, to take the job with the Cubs. So I didn't quite finish all of that. I ended up finishing business school at, at Northwestern in Chicago. Um, but uh, – I guess everything's relative because my, my parents are both doctors and, and um, they are actively trivializing everything I'm doing in the baseball world by uh, everything they're doing in the medical world. So uh, I still feel like despite what I've accomplished at, at this age, uh, it still pales in comparison to, to what my parents have, have done and, and how they raised me. 
Just out of curiosity, are either of them dealing with coronavirus in a frontline way or doing research in any way connected with COVID-19? Yeah, so they, they actually both retired uh, recently. Uh, my mom is still working at uh, Stanford Medical School, um, and uh, my dad uh, just recently um, finished work at, at the Valley Medical Center, uh, but they're both um, standing by in, in case um, our public health situation dictates that they need some additional help. But I, I think it's worth mentioning um, that we should all be very proud of the way this region has responded to the coronavirus. I think, you know, the Bay Area is certainly an outlier relative to other regions in, in this country and in the world. And, and I think um, it's a lot to be proud of here, um, but we got to continue to um, social distance. we got to continue to stay home and we got to continue to take this threat seriously so that um, we, can, uh, we can stomp it out once and for all and get back to baseball as soon as possible. Staying on that topic a little bit, I mean, how much has this been a major challenge organizationally? I know that you have to prepare for a draft, you have to prepare for a season if and when it comes. So uh, what are you guys doing to stay on top of all that? How are you scouting players? How are you managing the pipeline with games that are not going to be played? And uh, what exactly have you been doing technologically to kind of ease all of that? Yeah, it, it's certainly a challenge. Uh, we, we've been doing a few things. Um, you know, typically in these jobs, um, the day-to-day -day grind of the of spring training and the regular season often disrupts efforts um, to you know, explore new competitive advantages, identify ways that we can get better at certain aspects of our operation, and then also identify uh, ways to apply it uh, across the organization. And so Specifically, um, some competitive advantages take thousands of hours of work to um, really explore and apply to our operation. And a lot of times, some of the domain experts, like the, our pitching coaches or major league hitting coaches, they just don't have time during the everyday schedule of the regular season to apply themselves to this work. So um, Farhan, Gabe, and I are really focusing on some deep work projects that um, we think have a, a chance to create uh, real sustainable competitive advantages. Um, and we're looking forward to, um, you know, coming together as a staff to, to really dig into those and, um, and make sure that we can apply them as, as soon as um, our sport gets back on track. I think additionally, um, one new cool way that we are applying ourselves and more specifically Gabe and the Major League Coaching staff um, are uh, launching a new initiative with uh, the Junior Giants at Home program. Um, Gabe and, and his coaches are recording uh, new instructional videos for Junior Giants. Um, so that they can set up and conduct baseball specific drills at their house um, with just household supplies. So, you know, for instance, our bench coach, Kai Correa, just finished recording a new infield instructional uh, video where he teaches kids how to create an infielder's glove out of a uh, sheet of cardboard. And then he walks them through some of the, the same drills that he walks, you know, current giants, Brandon Crawford and Mauricio Dubon through and really teaches them the fundamentals of fielding a ground ball uh, at the major league level. So it's just another cool way that, um, you know, our, our creative coaching staff can apply themselves and to use our platform um, to promote the greater good in our community. God, that sounds like an interesting story. I want to follow up with you off camera about that because I might want to do something with it after. Um, but Gabe Kapler, going out when you hired him, why was he the guy? I mean, everyone wants this job. There's a lot of people that are candidates, but why was Gabe the guy in your, in your guys' mind? Yeah, I think um, – for us, you know, what has been really exciting is to um, see Gabe get out in the community and connect with fans because I think we knew we know Gabe um, on a different level than 
than most of the fans and uh, the, the rest of the baseball world uh, know him. But it was very clear in the interview process how um, Gabe is a takes a really creative approach to problem solving. Um, he is very intentional in um, the, the drill work he does with players and, and he really believes in efficient targeted work um, and getting players in on the field, get their work in and then get them off the field um, so that they can recover. Um, and then also one, one thing that I really noticed in spring training that uh, is a huge asset for Gabe is um, I think we don't give him enough credit for the set of experiences that he has in this game. You know, he came from, um, you know, a 57th round pick who worked his way into one of the, uh, the best prospects in all of baseball. And then he had a, uh, a huge major league debut in Detroit where they gave him Kirk Gibson's number. And, and, um, and then he had some, um, some struggles at the major league level. He had to go back down to the minor leagues and, and, and work on some things. He ended up going to Asia and playing in Japan for a little bit. And so, it was fun for Farhan and I to watch him interact with players from different backgrounds and um, find ways to identify with players through his own career and his, uh, his set of experiences, both as a player and as a manager in the minor leagues and the big leagues, and then also as a director of player development, too. So uh, he's an exceptionally versatile uh, manager for us. We think he's a really gifted tactician in the dugout, and, and we've seen firsthand how um, he can find creative new ways to help players get better, even, even in the midst of a global pandemic. Uh, he actually joined us on uh, a previous podcast and talked a little bit about varied experiences that he has had as coming in as the guy and then kind of declining and then resurging. And so he's been all over the map and can relate to a lot of different players. Do you have a sense as to how many games you will or need to play to make this season meaningful like do you have in the back of your mind uh, a startup date that is sort of do or die i don't um you know we have plenty of time to think about this um and i think we're we're focused on uh, trying to apply ourselves to productive work instead of spinning our wheels i mean uh you mentioned earlier about having a bunch of computer screens and modeling out when a start date could, could happen um I'm going to leave that to, to the experts in New York, um, the public health officials who are advising Major League Baseball and, and the commissioner and his staff. Um, I, I really trust them. I think they're, they're very, a very talented group of, of officials out there, and I know that they're exploring every possible idea to, to get us back um, and started. But I do think it's really important for us um, to wait for the public health situation to improve and to make sure that we're listening to the public health officials who are trained experts in, in this regard and, and wait for them to grant permission for us to get back on the field. Um, because I think, you know, we have to maintain some proper perspective in, in this environment. And we also have to be, be conscious that uh, we as a sport aren't going to divert any resources away from hospitals or first responders who were the real heroes in all of this. And, and they're doing the work that's going to allow us to eventually play baseball. Um, so if we, I think if we stay disciplined and, uh, and uh, we stay the course, uh, we're eventually going to play baseball. And, and I think, you know, at this point, any game um, is going to be a welcome sight. Um, and, and so hopefully we can play as many as we can this season and, and uh, you know, get back to, to playoffs. I know that uh, you are big on analytics. Uh, at least that's how you've been branded. Uh, maybe that's because you've got all these degrees and things uh, <laughs> uh, from all these fancy schools. But um, so I just thought randomly, you know, we hear so much today, spin rate, 
launch angle, exit velocity, and that those are those are just the simple ones. Do you have a favorite stat that you look at that you go, oh, look at that? That the rest of us would say, what, what is Scott talking about? What what is he looking at? Sure, but I probably shouldn't share it with you guys. You know, <laughs> nobody nobody no, watches I, these I, podcasts. I, Don't worry about it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no. I, I think it's an oversimplification to um, hone in on one stat as, as sort of the, um, you know, a comprehensive measure of a player's value. I, I think we're, we're trying to build a full roster and we're trying to um, create a, a collection of players that um, produce uh, value that's greater than the sum of their parts. Um, and so I think if we can give um, Gabe uh, a set of players who, are, who specialize in, in certain uh, situations and allow him to pl- deploy them in the optimal situations, then, you know, we're all going to be better for it. Um, I do think that we uh, have done a lot of work recently on trying to identify uh, latent ability and trying to identify potential for adjustments for players. Um, and there are some, some stats that we look to to identify potential for adjustment moving forward. But there's also the traditional scouting eye that is incredibly valuable for us, and we really lean heavily on our scouts um, to draw from their set of experiences and, and identify players who are on the cusp of, of taking their game to the next level and can create a ton of surplus value for us moving forward. So it isn't all stats. A lot of it is medical. A lot of it is scouting um, or scouting looks and, and, and trusting our evaluators' experience. Um, and then, um, you know, once we put all that information together, we, we try to make the best possible decision for the Giants. i got to say, for a young guy, you were really good at dodging my questions. Uh, I'm asking you when the season's going to start, and you give me like a minute answer that really doesn't tell me what I asked. And then I want you to give me a spin rate or, you know, launch angle, and you another very good answer, but not what I asked. And this is very, very impressive. Uh, with stuff Thank you. It's usually more effective when they don't identify it in the in the. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I totally get it, but it, uh, it's it's fun nonetheless. Anyway, Casey, uh, I wanted to ask you know, speaking of analytics, crunching numbers, running data, what do you think that the big change at Oracle Park is going to do with right field and the way that they're they're moving the bullpen, et cetera? I mean, is that something that you think is really going to help power numbers? Is that something that's going to benefit? your team or is it going to benefit both teams equally what are you guys thinking in terms of what you're going to see come from that change in right field yeah so um we're moving the the fence in center field um in about eight feet and then and that's going to obviously have an effect on triple dally too um we we have run some studies to um forecast the effect of moving the fences in um i i think an underrated impact that you're going to see once we're back to playing baseball is uh a positive um, effect on the the uh, psyche of our hitters. Um, I think it is, you know, anyone who's been around a, a major league team um, on a day to day basis uh, notices the the mental grind that these hitters face day in and day out, and and uh, that's amplified by some challenging environments uh, for hitters in in our game. And and so, you know, the, the the Giants who have been here for a long time, the Crawfords, the the Belts, the Posies. They know what it feels like um, when when you drive a ball to dead center field and you really feel like you got it and it dies on the warning track. So I think just a couple of those going out is going to have a positive psychological impact on on these hitters and, and give them a little more confidence at the plate because um, you know anyone who's played the game can can tell you that um, you know confidence at the plate is invaluable, especially over the grind of, of a six month season. 
What do you think about, uh, in terms of changes, the way the game is going to look when it comes back? I, I would imagine there's going to be no fans. I would imagine that there might be robot umpires. Is that a possibility? What are you seeing in, in the way that the game may look to us once it resumes? Yeah, I mean, there's. I, I'm reading the same uh, ideas out there as you guys are about ways that we may tweak the game when we get back. Um, there aren't any concrete tweaks um, that that we can report right now. Uh, we certainly talked about a lot of them. Um, I think the the biggest impact is going to be the potential to have no of having no fans. And I think we have two players on our roster right now who have plenty of experience with that, and, and Jeff Samarja and Kevin Gaussman, who both played in that game in Baltimore a couple of years ago when when they shut uh, Camden Yards. Um, down it didn't allow any fans in there and so they have some some pretty funny stories about the way, how the game changes and, and how even you know their interaction with their teammates changes when when uh, the sounds aren't drowned out by by the fans out there and, and I even heard one rumor of um, their ability to hear the the broadcasters announcing the game while they're playing in the game because there's there's no buffer of, of the fans in the stands anymore so you know, we're, we're going to be ready. Uh, we're going to stay nimble. We're, we're going to be able to, to respond to any changes that, that, that are coming on the horizon. Um, and uh, we're just excited to play baseball whenever we can. Now, Scott, Casey's a lifelong A's fan, so he's used to the concept of no fans in a, in a park. <laughs> oh! 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 No, no comment on that one. That is brutal. You know, I know. You can make me feel better, though, by, by actually engaging in some more deals with the A's. I know that Farhan came from there, too. The Giants and A's, for the longest time, wouldn't make any trades. I mean, how does that help your competitive advantage if you're not? We just made one. We yeah, I saw one. that. It was the first one yeah. in a long time. Yeah. Um, That's awesome. Yeah, so maybe they're more on the horizon. Ooh. Scott, realistically, how much time do you guys need in an abbreviated spring training to get ready to play major league baseball games account for wins and losses. Do you guys have an idea? Is there an ideal time, two weeks, three weeks, month? It's an excellent question. Um, this is uncharted territory for us. Um, we, we've never experienced anything close uh, to something like this. Um, so we've been talking with, with Gabe, uh, with Andrew Bailey, our, our pitching coach, and uh, with our hitting coaches to try to um, imagine what a ramp-up could look like. Um, but until uh, we uh, have a start date for the season, I don't think we can actually accurately predict how much time we're going to need to to get right. And also, I think there's there's some um, sense in the game that uh, we may not have a lot of choice. Uh, you know, if if we can play baseball, I think you know all parties involved um, are have uh, incentives that are aligned here. We just want to play as many games as possible, and that means that we're going to have uh, you know a shortened ramp up. A period and it's just on us to, to find the most efficient and effective way to use the time that we're allotted. I was there in February for a couple of days right when you guys kind of ramped up and started right before the games and uh, the vibe I got is what you mentioned about Gabe is the in, in and out the energy was there obviously it's a new voice Bochy's a legend so it's just something different but uh, what was the vibe that you got in the front office and, and the team was having entering 2020 before everything got shut down? Yeah it feels like spring training was so long ago it's unbelievable. Um, no I if I remember back to spring training, um, what sticks out to me is I was really impressed by the coaches and the players. Um, the coaches, as, as we talked about, um, they, they brought energy and um, enthusiasm to work every day. They designed a, a very efficient schedule for the players, and um, they, they came up with new creative drills that the players hadn't, hadn't um, participated in before. And so that brought a new um, you know, level of excitement to our camp. And uh, I think the players really fed off of it. I was really impressed by the, the players' work. You know, 
players like Brandon Crawford and Buster Posey and Hunter Pence um, and Jalen Davis and those guys, they, they really came to work every day and they, they were determined to get better and they were determined to prove the prognosticators wrong. Um, and it's just a, it's a shame because I, thought, I felt like we were building real momentum towards opening day in spring training. And it, it's a shame that it got sh- cut short, but at least we have a template there um, for future spring trainings and we, we kind of know what works and, and uh, we know what types of you know, work and, and drills and, and energy the, the players really need to, uh, to get better every day. I assume you're not going to tell us about Yasiel Puig and whether you're really interested or not? I, I don't know where that came from. <laughs> I, got a bunch of, I got a bunch of text messages from the, um, that tweet, as I'm sure you guys did. But there's a transaction freeze right now. We're, we're not talking about any deals with agents or other teams or, or anything like that because uh, it seems like a fool's errand right now um, to work on transactions that we wouldn't be able to submit anyways. Um, there's a story about you that has become urban legend I know you know. I, I could see the react. Do you? Would you like to clarify it? Just because we get the record set straight as to because it sounds funny, but without the context, people don't know exactly what is going on. So you want me to set it up and you can pick it up, or you want to do the whole thing? Sure. I actually don't know which one you're talking about. So. I don't know. <laughs> I, I I only know of one. And this comes from a previous story. By the way, there's not a lot about you on the web. I don't know if you've gone to one of those companies that scrubs everything. It's it's hard to get a lot of intel on you. Um, yeah, I think I think when you have a generic name like Scott Harris, it gets drowned out by all the other Scott Harris. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna change my name. I'm gonna make it much simpler. Um, anyway, so the the story is a guy uh, was it ESPN the magazine that was doing a profile on you. And it happened to be at a game uh, where you were with the Cubs and you're, you had a tradition where the team members or whatever, those in the organization would eat bread or cake. It's kind of like the rally cake or rally bread. And so you're like stuffing your mouth with cake or bread. Well, I don't know. I don't know. If they, you pick it up. You were there. You're the guy. Sure. Um, so uh, I'll, I'll provide some setup information. Um, so when I took the job in Chicago, I was uh, 25 years old. Uh, so I was the young guy uh, among the, the leadership group there. And, and uh, when you're the young guy, you're often the target of a lot of antics. Um, and so uh, Theo and Jed are known for um, a fraternity-like atmosphere in their front offices in, in Boston, San Diego, and Chicago. And, and so we had a lot of fun um, working in that front office. And uh, we oftentimes during some of the longer games when we'd be in the jam suite, uh, you know, Theo or Jed or, or one of us would come up with a, a new way to uh, sort of pass the time or, or um, you know, engage in superstitious activity or, or whatnot. And it happened to be that one night, uh, one of the ESPN writers was, was up in our suite and, and there he was doing a profile on Theo and uh, he was just kind of sitting in the corner taking notes. and. Um, at one point, uh, I'm trying to remember exactly what happened, but uh, essentially we were down a few runs and, uh, and Theo made us um, start wagering what we would do to, to try to score some runs and, and win the game. And uh, I, I should preface it by saying the players win the games, so the antics in the gym suite have no effect on the actual game, but we convince ourselves in the moment sometimes up there that it would. And, uh, a few of the things that happened up there were, you know, eating bread, uh, eating cake from the dessert cart. I think Theo was eating relish at one point. And, 
it's just a fun way to uh, to keep your light up there and, and to uh, pass the time because I think people forget in these jobs you work you know 16 17 hours a day with the same people and so you got to find new ways to um, to keep the atmosphere fun and inclusive and, and Theo's excellent at that I will say though um, it got completely overblown and, and it, it sounded like I was just sitting in the corner crushing carbs all the time when in reality it was a joint effort among all of us but I guess I'll just wear it because the ESPN guy started to, to write about me instead of everybody else. I, I sure hope you weren't taking dessert items away from uh, members of the media uh, because uh, that, that, the, the food at the ballparks is what sustains them, you know, the, the dessert card in particular. <laughs> yeah, I'm just glad that I have health benefits in case I have any complications from all this eating. I think, Larry, I think you should tell Scott a story about baseball and eating as well. Oh, no. Yeah, I think yeah, you got, yeah, he told a story. I think you should tell a story. It's only fair. Yeah. I actually have a great story about meeting Willie Mays for the first time. Nope. We don't want to hear that one. Can't avoid it, Larry. <laughs> <laughs> I can't even pick up my own story that I'm going to tell. <laughs> maybe, maybe next round of questions you can go in on that. But, okay, but yeah. I have a specific one in mind, and I think you know what I'm talking about. All right. Scott, you may not, I don't think Scott's going to find this entertaining at all. It's not Scott's fault, by the way. Let's just yeah, yeah, this is <laughs> time with the Giants because Casey loves the A's. And before last season, I thought, let's just make it interesting. And so he had owed me uh, a foot long sub from Safeway, which he uh, was very slow to, to pay back. <laughs> and so uh, before the start of the season, I said, you know, why don't we, why don't we go, uh, we'll go double or nothing on A's versus Giants wins. And so he gave me 15 wins to add to the Giants total. So I thought most of the season I was in pretty good shape. And then things went terribly wrong for the Giants and myself. And the, the tweak in the bet was uh, the loser had to eat two foot-long meatball subs at one time. Oh, wow. Yes. So wow. your organization nearly killed me, Scott. Uh, that's, that's Yeah, well, I will say another thing I deduce from that story is that you guys are betting on baseball these days. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> but like the GMs and the executives in the suite, we have no impact on the game either. We are not the players. So I think it's safe for us to do that. Yeah. Okay. Fair yeah, enough. Say. Um, all right, so – Larry did mention, you know, it is hard to get some information on you, and you mentioned it was because of your name, but I would like to do a quick lightning round, perhaps. So, who was your favorite player growing up? Uh, Sammy Sosa. Sammy Sosa. Yeah, Cub. All right. What about, um, what's your favorite TV show of all time? Um... Probably Seinfeld. I just watched it so many times. Nice. Good good choice. What about movie? Uh Gladiator? That's a good one. That's a good one. What about music? Do you have a favorite musical artist or, or CD or, or CD? Wow. Album that you've played of the most of perhaps? Um Apropos of the previous or one of the previous questions, uh, in, in these jobs, you get to uh, check off a lot of things on your bucket list. And, and fortunately, uh, Theo Epstein is really good friends with Eddie Vedder. So we got to hang out with him quite a bit. And so Pearl Jam has, has climbed up my list recently. And um, I, I find myself listening to them a lot. 
Nice. That was the very first album I ever purchased was uh, Pearl Jam's 10. So that's, that's a good choice. Yeah, awesome album. I know people hate answering those questions, so I'll stop now. <laughs> I had a couple more. Base, uh, fair baseball, fair baseball movie. Blame, though. <laughs> uh, the Natural. Oh, The Natural? Yeah. Um, favorite uh, road baseball park to go to outside of, you know, Oracle's now your home. So what's the, what's the second best one? Um, I like Pittsburgh a lot. Mm. You stay, it looks you stay a lot like Oracle. And you walk across the Clemente Bridge. Uh, what a gorgeous setting that ball, ballpark's in. It's a good one. Um, I actually spoke with Herm Edwards today, the Arizona State football coach. And when I got to that spring training that week, Gabe Kappa, the first thing he said was, Herm Edwards just spoke to us and he spoke to the team. <laughs> were, were you in that uh, meeting or speech? And if so, what was that like when Herm spoke to you guys? I was not actually. I was on a call during it, but uh, I heard it was great. A lot of the players were talking about it afterwards. Okay. You play to win the game, Scott. <laughs> I wonder how many times he's been asked to say that. Right. I didn't I actually didn't ask him today, but Scott, uh, is there? You know, one of the things that Herm said about what he said to the team. He's a lifelong Giants fan, but one of the things he said was that. He reminded the guys to remember what it's like to put on the cap for the first time and that you're always being watched and there are little kids that want to be like you or you're a role model and to just kind of carry that um, passion into what you do every day because, you know, baseball is, is a short window. So what do you like about the makeup of the clubhouse and the guys that you have, a mix of veterans and young guys that can actually produce to, to winning on the field? Yeah, I think you just nailed it right there. Um, one of the more exciting elements of our clubhouse right now is we have a healthy mix of, of young guys and veterans. Um, and I think, you know, spring training um, was a, a great first test of, of how those, those two groups were going to um, blend together. And we were really energized by the way that certainly the young guys uh, were making the most of the opportunity to learn from, you know, iconic figures in this organization like Buster Posey. Um, and, and trying to, you know, learn from their sets of experiences about how to climb the mountain, not just once, but multiple times. And so we were very pleased that, that uh, you know, some of the rookies were, were making the most of the opportunity. But we were also very pleased that the veterans seemed to be feeding off the energy that the young guys were bringing. The, the, the young guys were in early every single day and they were uh, hitting hard in the gym and they were out, out there uh, doing extra work with, with Kai and, and Donnie and Justin um, and Dustin. And it really seemed to, to be create a contagious um, uh, approach to work that the, the veterans seemed to, to feed off of also. And I do remember um, instances where, you know, veterans would be fighting with, with rookies to be the first one to uh, participate in a new drill that one of the hitting coaches would, would um, uh, implement in the cage or, or, or that Kai would, would bring in, into infield work. Um, and that's when you know that, that things are starting to stick and that, and that Gabe's approach to, to work and, and um, development at the major league level is really starting to resonate with the players. And so I think that's one of um, uh, the dynamics that I'm looking forward to, to watching once we get back on the field because I, I think that's going to bring out the most of, of both the veterans and the young guys. It's a good place to, to wrap it up. We're just hoping that we get to see some actual baseball in the relative near future. It, it looks like Things are heading in the right direction, and you know who knows. I I know they're playing in Asia, uh, no fan games, and so they're a couple months ahead of us with respect to the virus and and how to to, to slowly get back to whatever the new normal is. So hopefully we'll be able to uh, actually do this in person at Oracle Park 
And, Absolutely. Uh, I'll bring the meatball subs. Yeah. yeah. Well, now we're talking. I might yes. be the one eating them now that you're with the Giants. You'll probably, <laughs> probably make me lose the next bet. I'll I got oh, you. Man, I can. I, uh, I was going to say I could taste it, but I want him to taste it. Uh, <laughs> Scott, thanks so much for your time, and uh, hopefully we'll see you soon at, at a baseball uh, a park to be named later. All right? Absolutely. Thanks, guys. That was fun. With authority.